I'm glad you're here. If you've not been with us, we're doing a study of the big doctrines of the Bible. Uh, this session lasts for about 35 minutes, and then we take a little break, and then our worship service begins at 10. So that's what we're doing here. That's why we're here. Uh, we call this Grow, and we are going through a core doctrine series, the big truths of the Bible, and it's based on our elder affirmation of faith. We're taking every article in three parts. This is review for many of you. Last week, we did week one, first Sunday of every month. Second Sunday, which is today, we do part two, which is where we're at on historical theology. What has the church said about these doctrines we're introducing in the first week? And then finally, so how do we live? And as I mentioned last week, Lord willing, Blake Pugh will lead us next Sunday for the practical part of this this doctrine. The doctrine we're talking about is the justifying act of God. And again, we're going to look at the historical theology of that today. So let's pray together. We'll jump in. Father, thank you that you, you say in, in Scripture, you justify the ungodly by faith. And we thank you that you do that in a way that upholds your justice through the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died to satisfy all the demands of your law and to make atonement for sinners like us. I pray that you would open our eyes to understand your word. I pray the same thing for our teenagers and children as they're now rallied around your word that you would open hearts to see, to believe upon Jesus. We pray this in his name, amen. So I'm gonna read for us again this affirmation. Yes, it's wordy and uh, it says a lot in a little space. We believe that in a free act of righteous grace, God justifies the ungodly by alone, apart from works, pardoning their sins and them as right in his presence. Should I just keep on rolling? Okay, you, you can tinker with it as I, uh, as I keep trying to go. Um, reckoning them as righteous and acceptable in his presence. Faith is thus the sole instrument. Right here. This is so important. The sole instrument, faith. By which we as sinners are united to Christ whose perfect righteousness and satisfaction for sins is alone the ground of our acceptance with God. This acceptance happens fully and permanently at the first instant of justification. Thus the righteousness by which we come into a right standing with God is not anything worked in us by God, neither imparted to us at baptism nor over time, but rather is accomplished for us outside ourselves and is imputed to us. We believe nevertheless the faith which alone receives the gift of justification does not remain alone in the person so justified but produces by the Holy Spirit the fruit of love and leads necessarily to sanctification. This necessary relation between justifying faith and the fruit of good works gives rise to some biblical expressions which seem to make works the ground or means of justification, but in fact, 
simply expressed the crucial truth that faith that does not yield the fruit of good works is dead, being no true faith. Um, so I mentioned last week that in our historical examination of what I just read, we're going to look at two big ways that people have thought about the Bible's teaching on justification, Rome and Protestants, the Catholic view and the evangelical view, uh, evangel, gospel, that's where evangelical comes from. So first, the Roman Catholic view, I mean not to caricature, if you grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition, if you have friends or family in that tradition, if you yourself would say you're a Roman Catholic, I hope you would agree with everything I'm about to say. I'm not trying to caricature, I'm not trying to build a straw man so we can knock it down, I'm trying to give a faithful representation of the Roman Catholic understanding of justification, and then I'm going to show in contrast the Protestant understanding of justification, and uh, I hope to do that fairly. The Roman Catholic view of justification, uh, ratified at the Council of Trent, which was not a one-day meeting. That council gathered from 1545 to 1563 with all the heavy hitters in Catholicism for almost two decades to hammer out in concrete verbiage what Rome believes about the justifying act of God. This is part of what they said. They declared that justification, quote, is not only but also, not only a remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the inward man through the voluntary reception of the grace and gifts whereby an unjust man becomes just and from being an enemy becomes a friend that he may be an heir according to the hope of eternal life. You may read that and say, I believe everything in there. <clears throat> I want to show you some, what I believe are gospel problems with that understanding of justification. I mentioned the Council of Trent was an ecumenical Roman Catholic council, 1545 to 1563. It was a response to the Protestant Reformation. There was a new teaching. It wasn't new at all. It's Augustinian, it's church father, it's New Testament, it's Old Testament. It's not a new teaching, but the Council of Trent was a response to the Protestant Reformation, and it was a effort to clarify the church's doctrine, teaching, and practice, particularly on justification. The Council of Trent, see if I can get my cursor back. Sometimes when I do this, it never goes back. That's okay. Declared that justification is not only, but also, now look at this phrase, the sanctification and renewal of the inward man. Is it on that basis that God accepts you or me? I hope you would, after today's session, say no. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a cursor at all. There we go. Uh, Louis Burkhoff in his Systematic Theology, citing their own primary documentation, said Roman Catholics deny the legal meaning of the term to justify and ascribe to it 
the moral sense of to make just or righteous. This is going to be super important in our conversation in a few moments. Come on. Um, hmm. Yeah, this is uh, giving me some fits. Hang on a second. Ah, hey, there it is. All right, so the Old Testament term, I'm going to leave this up here, legal, moral. Legal, declared righteous. Moral, actually changed. The Old Testament term to justify, Louis Burkhoff says, which in the great majority of cases means to declare judicially that one's state is in harmony with the demands of the law. A lot of passages say, you are now declared to be in right standing to God's requirements, God's law. Passages such as Exodus 23.7, Deuteronomy 25.1, Proverbs 17.15, Isaiah 5.23, on and on would give that meaning of justify. Occasionally, uh, another word for justify, siddik, Jehovah, to sitkenu, the Lord our righteousness comes from that root word, um, carries the same meaning. Burkhoff goes on, since Roman Catholics deny the legal meaning of the term to justify and ascribe to it a moral sense of to make just or righteous, it becomes important to take careful notice of the considerations that may be urged in favor of the legal meaning. I would say if you get this wrong, you got some major, major problems with the gospel. The New Testament uses terms like dikaio, dikaiosune, that means righteous or righteousness. And it means, Burkhoff says, to declare a person to be just. Occasionally, it refers to the declaration that one's moral character is in conformity with the law. So there is a sense of the fruit of being justified in the New Testament in places like Matthew 12 and Luke 7 and Romans 3. Sometimes in Paul's epistles, use it that way. But it's grounded in a forensic, legal declaration, judicial declaration uh, that the conditions of one's life before God are fully satisfied in the person and work of Christ. Acts 13, Romans 5, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 2, Galatians 3, on and on and on we could go. We looked at those passages last week. In many instances, it can bear no other meaning, justify, New Testament, than God declares you righteous. Not makes you righteous, declares you to be righteous on the basis of Christ. Romans 3, 20 to 28, we looked at that. Romans 4, 5 to 7, we looked at that. Romans 5, 1, Galatians 2, 16. Galatians 3, 11, Galatians 5, 4, we looked at that one last week. The word in the New Testament to justify in its legal sense is antithetical to being condemned. Romans 8.33, Romans 8.34. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Justify and condemned are juxtaposed like that in the New Testament. 
If it does not bear this meaning, then there is no distinction in the New Testament between justification and sanctification. All right, so Rome would say it's not only a legal declaration, it is a moral improvement of one's inward man. That was in the previous slide from Trent. Burkhoff again says the Roman Catholic view confounds justification and sanctification, smushes them together. The grace of justification can be lost, but can also be restored through works, sacraments, penance, purgatorial time spent. The grace of justification can be lost. That's why the Protestant Reformation took off like wildfire. People were told from Scripture passages they could look at with their own eyes. When God justifies a sinner, they're as good as glorified in his sight. The golden chain of redemption in Romans 8 cannot be broken. Those whom he foreknew, which way do you read, left or right? Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, doesn't say sanctified, he also glorified, past tense. You can't break that chain. Rome has people to this day, I say it with a broken heart, unsure of their eternal standing with God. The Protestant Reformation was obviously great news when people recovered the doctrine of justification by faith alone. The Roman Catholic view confounds, as this slide says, justification and sanctification. It includes the following elements Rome would, this is, this is primary source documentation. This is how Rome views justification, fivefold. The expulsion of indwelling sin, the positive infusion of divine grace, the forgiveness of sins, therefore the sinner is pre- prepared for justification by what they call prevenient grace without any merits on its part. The prevenient grace leads a sinner uh, to a conviction of sin, to repentance, to confident reliance on the grace of God in Christ, to the beginnings of a new life, to a desire for baptism. Justification really consists in the infusion of new virtues after the pollution of sin has been removed in baptism. After the expulsion of indwelling sin, the forgiveness of sin or the removal of the guilt of sin necessarily follows, and after that, the Christian advances from virtue to virtue and is able to perform meritorious works and receives a reward of greater measure, uh, receives as a reward a greater measure of grace and a more perfect justification. The grace of justification can be lost, but can also be restored through the sacrament of penance. That's Rome. That's how they view justification. Well, let's get to the good news. What's the Protestant view? It's not just a little different. It's diametrically opposed. Uh, let, me, let me back up and say one thing as clear as I can. I do believe that there are regenerate Roman Catholics. I believe they are saved in spite of what they're told. I believe there are lost Protestants. I believe they are lost in spite of what they're told. I think God is so wonderfully, amazingly gracious. He can take the truths of the gospel 
spoken in a Catholic mass and cut out all the shrapnel and cause a person to be born again. I believe spiritual blindness is so real that somebody could hear a clear, hour-long, faithful, biblical presentation of the true gospel, justification by faith alone in a Protestant church, and never get it. So, I believe there are regenerate Roman Catholics. I believe there are lost Protestants. It's not what you think. This is what terrifies me. Demons believe and tremble. I guarantee you Satan agrees with every syllable in our elder affirmation of faith. He knows it's true. We're not talking about right thinking only. Yes, God wrote us a book, but you can know the whole thing and not know God in Christ. So what's the Protestant view of justification? We're not only talking about right thinking. <clears throat> Francis Turretin said, a Swiss Italian Protestant theologian, Turretin said, Satan in every way has endeavored to corrupt this doctrine in every age as has been done, especially in the papacy, Rome, for which reason it is deservedly placed among the primary causes of our secession from Roman, the Roman church and the primary cause of the Reformation. Martin Luther said the doctrine of justification is the article of a standing or falling church. Louis Burkhoff, who I cited earlier, said the doctrine of justification was the great material principle of the Reformation. And before I go to some definitions, oh, there we go. <clears throat> Burkhoff adds, as far as the ground of justification is concerned, they rejected the idea, they, the Protestants uh, of Rome, that this lies, justification lies at least in part in the inherent righteousness of the regenerate and our good works and has substituted for it the doctrine. Uh, the Protestant Reformation said, no, 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 not meritorious, not good works. The Protestant Reformation said, the doctrine that is found only in the imputed righteousness of the Redeemer. And in connection with the means of justification, they, the Protestant reformers, emphasize the fact that man is justified freely by that faith which receives and rests in Christ only for salvation. Moreover, the Protestant reformers rejected the doctrine of a progressive justification and held that it was instantaneous and complete You'll never be more justified a billion years from now than you are today if you're in Christ. Uh, and held that it was instantaneous and complete and did not depend for its completion on some further sanctification for sin. They were opposed to the Socians who held that sinners obtained pardon and acceptance with God through his mercy on the ground of their repentance and reformation, their change. God will like me more if I become a little more like Christ. No. You will become a little more like Christ because God likes you, because he loves you. One more Burkhoff quote, and then I'm going to get to what I think will be a helpful side-by-side -side comparison. Justification is a, here's a, somebody asked last week for a definition. Here, here's one of my favorite definitions of justification. Justification is a judicial act of God in which he declares on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that all the claims of the law are satisfied with respect to the sinner. So a justified person doesn't say, I prayed my prayer, therefore you should accept me. 
A justified sinner says, he, he, he. He's all my hope. If you're not going to accept me on the basis of him and his work and his righteousness, then I'll never be accepted because he is all my hope. Christ. Uh, I know sometimes I I use names that are controversial to some people and therefore you don't hear anything else that's said because somebody's quoted that you think is a heretic. (laughs) All right. (laughs) With that in view, uh, I know today we live in the internet age where everybody's both judge and jury and we're ready to anathematize any person who doesn't line up 100% with our tribe. All right, off my soapbox, Tim Keller carries in his wallet a card and he, pull, he walks the streets of Manhattan every day, million, 7.5 million people. He pulls out this card, he says almost every day while he's walking the streets or standing at an intersection or on the subway, and all the card says is, the verdict is in. Already solved. God's already smashed the gavel. I'm accepted. Case is closed. I'm justified. That's good theology. Um, nothing you do can diminish God's love for you. That's the promise of justification. On the other side of that same coin, nothing you do can improve his love for you. You're free. You're loved. You're wanted. You're accepted. You're approved finally and forever. You can't improve upon God's love. You can't diminish God's love. This is the radical doctrine of gospel justification. The man at God's right hand is the definition of your acceptance before God. If your faith rests on him, Jesus is not more accepted than you. He is the standard of your acceptance. This is the beauty of the doctrine of justification. So let me put them side by side. How the Protestants would think about justification and sanctification. And this is very different than what I said Rome would think. They smush them together. We believe that the Bible teaches that justification is the removal of the guilt of sin. And sanctification is the separation from the pollution of sin. It's important to have that distinction, though the first necessarily gives rise to the second. Justification is the restoration of familial rights. J.I. Packer said, the gospel, the, the best part of the gospel is this, adoption. You're brought into the family. So we've used the illustration here at Grace Church before, uh, that justification turns the courtroom, judge, Uh, accused party who's guilty, it turns the courtroom into an adoption ceremony. The judge gets off the bench, he comes and gets the criminal, he takes him back to his chambers, and he signs papers and gives them his name. He calls you Christian. He calls you by the name of Christ. Restoration of familial rights, that's justification. Renewal into the conformity to Christ is sanctification. Protestants would say justification takes place outside the sinner in the courtroom of God. I've just illustrated that. Whereas sanctification takes place in the inner life of a man. 
a woman, a, a believer, gradually affecting his whole being. This is 2 Corinthians 3, from glory to glory, you're being transformed. That's sanctification. Justification takes place once for all time. It's not ongoing. It's an instant in a person's life. Sometimes we're aware of that. Sometimes we're not. But the aftermath will be obvious because sanctification is a continuous process, never completed in this lifetime of pursuing Christ with eyes on him. And then finally, in justification, the father declares the sinner to be righteous, smashes the gavel, you, in my eyes, are blameless according to the law. You are righteous. That's a declaration. That's not actual righteousness. That's declared righteousness. Whereas in sanctification, the Spirit does transform the sinner, sanctifies the sinner. Very slowly, it's like watching grass grow, it's watching paint dry. You can't see it in yourself. In fact, you're not a good evaluator of whether or not it's even happening. That's why you must have a local church. We're an assurance of salvation cohort. That's what we are. You believe in the same Jesus that we just heard? I do too. Will you help me live for him? Oh, sister, I've been seeing for 10 years. You're a totally different person than you were a decade ago. All the fruits of the Spirit are just blooming out of your life. I know you can't see it, but we see it. Burkhoff says on this point, while the meritorious cause of both being declared righteous and being sanctified lies in the merits of Christ. You never take eyes off Jesus for either. There is a difference in the efficient cause. Speaking economically, Burkhoff says the Father declares the sinner righteous, and God the Holy Spirit sanctifies him. It's the triune God at work in the life of the believer. <clears throat> A couple more things I want to get to just before I close and call for questions. Michael Horton uh, said, here's a core question between Rome and Protestantism when it comes to justification. First, Rome. Is grace a divine substance infused into the soul, enabling cooperation with God toward the goal of final justification? Uh, some have said it this way in the Protestant understanding. God takes 99 steps toward you, you take one step toward him. But he enables you by prevenient grace to take that step. Is that true? Or is this true? Or is God's, is, <laughs> let me say it again, or is grace God's mercy and favor toward sinners in Jesus Christ? In fact, the gift of Christ himself, a person, not a substance, who makes all of his riches ours by imputation, that's justification, and impartation, that's sanctification and glorification. The first is the Roman view, second is the Protestant view. The church is very much still divided over this today. Well, that's a quick summary of a lot of history, especially two predominant views of justification. So, um, what comments or questions might you have? We have time, we have four or five minutes. Okay, Mr. McClarty. You made a comment um, that 
we find it to be heartbreaking that there are so many Roman Catholics um, that do not know whether or not they have salvation. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've asked this question in the past on a different doctrine, but um, I don't, obviously that's not an exclusively Roman Catholic experience. True. Um, and on the one hand, um, I observe in reading like from Martin Luther that uh, there was a, you know, there was Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom mm-hmm. you've been set free. Like, Martin Luther just stopped asking that question, it felt like. Um, but I think for a lot in the church, it's like, I know, I know doctrinally I'm supposed to be justified by Jesus, but if the fruit of that is this thing over here, I look in me and see so much depravity. Hmm. And so there, if I'm supposed to be looking to sanctification to prove that the doctrine of justification has been believed, how do we help the members of the church mm. experience yeah. that freedom? To s- because we, on the one hand, don't want to say, stop asking the question. Yeah. But on the other hand, we might want to say, stop asking it so often. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I, I'm just, I'm maybe throwing up a pastoral softball to say, I, if <clears throat> the fruit of believing this doctrine rightly is confidence before God, <clears throat> how do we get there? Yeah. No, thank you so much. It's the question of assurance of our salvation. Um, X number of percentage of statistics are made up on the spot. I'm about to make up a stat. It feels like 90% of my pastoral work talking one-to-one with believers here at Grace also, maybe especially, circles around to, if not starts with, the question of assurance. Uh, My short response to your question, I was trying to listen carefully, is my recommendation is that we change the pronoun from first person to second. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. We know that Galatians 5 goes on to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. And so we become our own fruit inspectors. Instead of first person fruit inspection, I would say do it in community with other believers who love you enough not to flatter you. That doesn't help anybody. That does not help anybody. We don't want air conditioned rides on our way to hell. Don't flatter people. But who love you enough to say, I see chinks in, chinks in the armor. I see gaping holes in your walk with Christ. I'm concerned about you for this and that reason. But I can see supernatural grace at work in your life. Here's how. And so instead of me inspecting my own fruit, others loving us enough to help us uh, with genuine biblical encouragement. I believe this is accurate representation and I I, I stand ready to be, you know, told otherwise by somebody in the tribe, but I think Rome's answer to that question would be work harder, do more, more penance, more ritual, more adherence to the 
kind of the creed, more relics, more prayers for the purgatorial sufferers, uh, more mass, more confession. I believe the Bible's answer to that is 10 to 1. Everyone, look, you take yourself, 10 more to Christ, 10 more to Christ, 10 more to Christ. And then over time, you look back and you say, I'm not who I want to be. This is that old grid, right? I'm not who I want to be. I'm not who I one day will be. But praise God, I'm not who I once was. And it's over time. Uh, I hope that helps, brother. That is literally a summary of 90% of my pastoral work with you precious people <laughs> and, and my own soul. Uh, so, amen for a glorious gospel where we can look at chapters and verses that say, you do have peace with God if you're justified by faith in Christ. Great, great question. All right, let's pray. We'll close with that. We have eight minutes before our service begins. Father, thank you for the promise that the blood of Jesus in your sight makes all who come to you through him clean, accepted, approved, family, adopted, justified. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.